This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What is going on, everybody? This is uh, Albert Gim of uh, No Ceilings NBA. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually when I'm doing the Home and Away pod, first off, I didn't even realize we had that really cool intro video. I think I've been playing the <laughs> wrong thing for the last <laughs> two, three times I've been doing this pod. But today I have a very special guest. Usually I've got uh, my brother Josh Lee uh, with me. To, but today Josh is away uh, visiting home. So we have the one and only, the living legend, Mm. Stephen Gillespie. Stephen, how are you doing? Your other brother, right? I'm doing awesome, man. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I, I missed Draft Deeper yesterday because of reasons that we're about to get into, but I'm super excited that you reached out to me to to be on the show, man, to pitch it. I, lo- I love being the I love being the guy that you call. Dude, Steve, you've you've been an unbelievable super sub for me a couple times already. Um, when I was hosting the No Ceilings NBA pod, uh, no, not the No Ceilings, the Draft Act NBA pod, and Corey was gone. We talked about Grady Dick, and that was an awesome mm-hmm. pod. So I appreciate you coming on today as well. And um, for Josh and I, usually this is a pod where we get to deviate a little bit away from college basketball and the NBA and the NBA draft and talk about some other things but with you being on the pod today i did want to mix in a little bit of excuse me a little bit of the stuff that josh and i like to talk about but also have you talk about the stuff that you love which is scouting and basketball and college basketball and you've been a very busy man but before we get into all of that stuff wanted to start off with a little bit of fun uh what i kind of branded as sneaker talk uh just Mm. wanted to ask because josh and i are big basketball fashion uh sneaker culture type of guys fashionados a little bit a little bit fashionados that's a good one Mm. that was that was really good but um what we wanted to do was kind of talk about what are some of your favorite shoes to wear number one your your favorite shoes to wear kind of casually out and about if you guys didn't know steve's a dad has i believe what's the number now like 45 kids or is it 47 (sighs) I mean, it feels like every time I come home, there's another one in my house. Uh, but, you know, I have four kids, uh, two boys, two girls. Actually, this past weekend was my youngest son's birthday. Wow. So we got to do some some fun stuff uh, out in Orlando, um, spending time. Get, get, SeaWorld got a little bit of my money this, this mm. past weekend. So that was fun. Those parks are always super expensive. I don't know how <laughs> you did that with four kids, but shouts to you, Dad. Um, but wanted to ask, so what are your favorite shoes to wear casually out and about with the kids or running errands or whatever? And then a favorite pair of shoes that you like to wear on the court? Because believe it or not, guys, uh, we at No Ceilings NBA, we don't just talk basketball, but we like to play as well, from what I understand. I, at least I um, I know we do. But uh, yeah. Stephen, if you could just answer those first two for me. Well, first, you know, um, I'm one of the the best bench players uh, for my work's uh, intramural basketball team. So nice. I'm I'm always waving the towel, doling out high fives. Marilla uh, like set screens, pass the mm-hmm. ball, stuff like that. When I'm on the court, uh, I don't have a lot of sneakers. First off, so you know when you were kind of introducing this whole segment, I just started like snickering to myself <laughs> because I just wear so. I'm I'm a basic dude, man. I, I wear some Nike Air Precision Twos. Okay. That's that's what I wear on the court. Um, and when I'm off the court, typical dad attire, you know, the Sperry's are, are in vogue here in Southeast Georgia, Northeast Florida. Mm-hmm. So, you know, can't, can't deviate from the culture down here in uh, sunny Southeast Georgia. Good. No, I, I love that. I love that, man. Dad attire is very important, especially yeah. if you're a dad. So 
it, it's important to play your part. I, I love I love what you yes. said about being that good energy bench guy, very um Anderson Verjo esque. Verjao esque. Yeah, say. absolutely. Uh slightly less curly hair. Uh, my work makes me trim it. Otherwise, I would be rocking a sweet fro for no ceilings. But uh yeah, um I come in and I, I do my thing, dude. I, mm. I shoot a little bit. I love doing my my Jason Williams, Steve Nash impressions with the oh. passes and stuff like that. And the Nike Air Precision Twos help me do that. So Nike, if you're listening, you know I got I got you on an endorsement. <laughs> Nike, if you're listening, sponsor the podcasters. You know I've been Stephen. I do want to say this is something yeah. that I've been talking about with my buddy Josh for about like a year and a half. But I, I like I get it. Like when we were podcasting, there's nothing really athletic about what we're doing other than what we're talking about. Sure. But, I do think it would be cool because there are so many podcasters out there. It would be cool if Nike were to sponsor podcasters, you know, and like, that would of course, be like, and the cool and the cool way to do that. Right. is like, obviously, like the easy stuff is like, OK, we wear this stuff when we're recording these pods and on screen, but also like doing a feature of how like, look, podcasters also try to stay in shape. You know, we don't mm. at a desk for 20 hours a day and we were trying to go out and stay active and be fit and, you know, try to be not athletes per se, but athletic, you know, but I, I was wondering, like, I've been thinking about that. Like it would be cool if podcasters could be sponsored by athletic brands as well. Well, I mean, if you think about basketball and podcasting, like you have to be deadly in transition, you know what I mean? You have to be, you have to be good going from one set. Are you okay? You have to be deadly going from one segment to another so your transition game has to be on point so there's some there's some carryover between what we do on the mic and on the court yeah steven i the dad aesthetic is <laughs> incredible here you are i got dad just, drip it's unbelievable I, I love it so much okay so with you being on the pod today yeah. obviously we're having some fun but um for me this might be a little weird or not i don't think it's weird at all but i i really wanted to take this time to get to know more about you as the the writer the podcast host the evaluator the scout there there are a lot of questions that i had for you because i i think it's funny like we are so busy talking about players and then like inviting like guests from other outlets onto our pods but i think we very rarely dive deeper into who we are as mm -hmm. a team and who we are individually as evaluators who we are as scouts as um personalities as well right and so I think recently for you, you've been on the road quite a bit. Um, I know you went on a trip with Corey to check out the OTE. I know you're mm -hmm. at the University of Georgia. You're at UCF. You've been around a little bit. So wanted to start off with that. And I guess my first question that I wanted to ask is being at these schools. So like, you know, I, I've been to UCLA, been to a couple of other schools as well, been to Vegas for a couple of things. But going to these schools checking out these players, checking out these teams, what's been like one really memorable thing that's that stuck out so far from you being on the road and checking out these different teams and players? I just think kind of that first uh, introduction into what actually takes place behind the scenes, because, you know, like a lot of us here at No Ceilings, Albert, we're, we're trailblazers, man. Like we are, a lot of us don't have, you know, the, the traditional background and things yeah. like that, but man, we hustle hard. So I think, you know, there's a steep learning curve when it comes to that and reminding yourself to be humble. And, uh, you know, you always get told act like you've been there before, but if you've never been there before, it's kind of hard to, to know how to act. So, you know, just kind of getting behind the curtain. That's mm. a, that's been my, my biggest eye opener is like, the pregame stuff that you do for, for media people. And, you know, you, you walk in there and everybody knows each other. Right. And here comes this, you know, newbie, so to yeah. speak, coming in and I'm walking in there. I, I don't want to be a, a wallflower. You know, I, I like to walk up and introduce myself and shake people's hands and, you know, network a little bit. So that's been fun. You know, you, you get a little pregame meal, which is always kind of nice. That was something that I really wasn't uh, fully expecting. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sitting down at the media row and, you get a pretty good view of what's going on on the court, but the, the post game stuff has been like the biggest eye opener for me, you know, talk actually like talking with players, like face to face, talking with coaches, getting to meet like people on staff for these universities. It's, it's really cool, man. Like the whole experience, just the behind the scenes stuff has been like the biggest eye opening portion mm -hmm. for me. 
No, I, I definitely agree with you, man. I, I think for me, I definitely had a moment like when I went to go see UCLA play. Um, I think they were playing Long Beach State, and I remember yeah. I was walking around. I got there like two, two and a half hours early, and uh, I was just walking around like the main concourse area, heading over to to the court. And I remember like I was literally just by myself, just walking. There's no one around me, and then like there's mm-hmm. some security guards there. And I remember thinking to myself like, "Oh damn, like this is." this is real. Like this is actually my life right now. And I'm like here as a media scout, um, they're given, they've given me this credential and I'm walking around the court and I'm seeing the players warm up and it's pretty surreal. And so like, I definitely understand what you're saying. I I think it's hilarious what you said about like the pregame food stuff. Um, I remember when uh, Rucker and I were in Vegas to go see, um, I think it was a Pac-12 tournament. No, it was the, uh, it's like a good Sam, one of those early season tournaments. You've been to so many of these things, they're all just starting to blend together. You you know, we, can I start asking you some questions? Robert, no, I... no, no, that is not <laughs> what I was trying to say. But we were, we were at one of those and I remember walking into the media room and they they had like sandwiches and salads and stuff. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. is in my head, I was like, oh my God, like this is free. They want us can to I actually, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Rucker and I, I think we were still kind of like we're kind of like shy about it. And we just like grabbed like some Coke Zeros and went up, we went up to our seats. But Steven, I, I think it's really interesting how like this is the type of stuff, as you mentioned, right? The behind the scenes, behind the curtain yeah. stuff that you don't know. But okay, speaking of food, um, other than the free food that they give you, have you had a meal <laughs> like on your trips that was like really memorable or you're at a stadium and like, oh, this stadium had poutine and it was fantastic? Did you have something like that? Man, you know, I'm, I try to save money because of all the, you know, the family stuff that I have, you know, uh, they, 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 they're kind enough to feed me before the games. So I really kind of take advantage of that. But, you know, I'll I'll make a couple little stops on the road, like from where I live, when I went up to Georgia, that's about a, what about a six, six and a half hour drive, right? So a, a good little stretch. And, um, you know, I'd like to sit here and tell you that I go and check out like all the local cuisine and stuff like that. But I'm just ready to get there. I'm so anxious that I'll typically mm-hmm. go and, uh, you know, maybe stop at a, at a sandwich place or something okay. like that. But I haven't really taken the time to sit down and immerse myself within like a, a local establishment or okay. anything like that. But I will say the best food that I've had, you know, going to these uh, places is actually at the overtime um, oh. facility. You know, they they had some some cool little finger foods and stuff like that. Better for you. You know, like I definitely ate well at at Georgia and at UCF, but you know, burgers and pizza and stuff like that stuff that sits heavy with you for the mm-hmm. two, two and a half hours that you're scouting a game. Dude. I, I, yeah, I, I think it depends. It depends on where you go, but yeah, food mm-hmm. can be varying, but I, I'm surprised you didn't mention Chick-fil-A. I know you're a Chick-fil-A guy. Yeah. So that's a funny story. You know, when uh, Corey and I, we were scouting overtime, I actually got there a day before in our contact there was really nice and let me, go and uh scout them before Corey showed up but then we get Corey. it's you know it's kind of later in the day we're planning to go early i get up before Corey. you know it's probably the the military side of me but i get up and go pick up some some chick-fil-a breakfast and i think that was the first time that Corey ever ate chick-fil-a breakfast so i was it was an honor to be able to uh, serve him his first chick-fil-a breakie but uh it's pretty solid man no, of course. Chick-fil-A is amazing. I I, mm-hmm. I understand why they close on Sundays, but it still breaks my heart. There have been so many times <laughs> in my life where I was like, oh, let's go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. And they're just closed. Dude, um, even me in the South, I still do it. And like, <laughs> I should I should know better. It's one of the things I actually teach you in school, you know, mm-hmm. that you can't go to Chick-fil-A on Sundays. OK, so speaking of all that, right, um, you've been to OT, been to Georgia, been to UCLA. Who had the best facilities? Now, I'm guessing you're going to say OTE. Probably. Yeah. I might be wrong. But what about their facilities was so special? And the reason why I ask is because just going to UCLA and, like, just the, the arena itself, walking around, everything's so beautiful on campus. And then you walk inside and, like, they have literal, um like, water fountains. And out of their water fountains comes out blue Gatorade. And I was like, this is literally um the coolest thing ever that i have not some mr deed stuff exactly exactly so (laughs) was wondering what what who had the best facilities and why well so if you're talking about like full like full facilities i would say the overtime because everything is right there you know the where they're located in atlanta there's not really like a lot of actually most of what's located around around them is some residential areas so Wow. They have their their entire facilities are, are centrally located into into one 
kind of major stadium. Um, and it's actually really nice. You know, they have a, you know, film study, they got weight room, they have cuisine, they have multiple courts wow. all within this one complex. And they're all beautifully done, man. Like everything that you see on TV and, you know, you could, you could talk however you want about the broadcast, but it's beautiful. Like they, mm-hmm. they've done it up really well. And the entire stadium is, or complex rather is it was very impressive. Like it's right up there with some of the, you know, your, I would say your top universities um, and it, as far as, you know, appeal and mm. uh, you know, how functional everything is. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I mean, just from what I've seen on TV, obviously I haven't been there yet, but what I've seen from the, the telecast or broadcast, it, it does seem pretty nice. And I feel yeah. like they do a good job of like making it seem very modern and young and like appealing to kids, you know, like it looks like they'd have a lot of fun shooting TikToks there and, you know, dancing um, <laughs> in front of stuff. So I, I think yeah. they've done a really great job and I, and it's great to hear you say that. Okay. So now this is the part where I wanted to get into more of you, right? Steve Gillespie, okay. the writer, the personality, the podcast host, all that stuff. Um, when it comes to straight up like evaluating players, right? Mm. Um, the first question that I wanted to ask is you've been to a couple places now. If you had to pick gun to your head, and I hate to put the gun to your head, right? But if yeah, you, had you could to just pick, ask me a question, it doesn't have to be <laughs> life threatening, dude. Come on now. <laughs> I use that one a lot, and I, the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, life's not that serious. I could just ask the question. But um, if you had to pick one prospect that you've seen live in person that was the most impressive to you, who would that player be? I I know that I might get like the recency bias thing, but. In terms of like expectation, hype coming into the game, you know, all of that, I would I would say it was Taylor Hendricks, who I just recently saw this past weekend. I mean, he he's already started getting like top 10 buzz and consideration and things like that before coming into the game. I actually had him at 13. And it's just just real quick, Albert. It's so weird how like minded the, the draft community can be sometimes like it gets a rap for being divisive and argumentative and things like that. But it's weird how we can like, you know, in one cohesive unit, like have a, have a unifying thought. And I've heard so many people say that before the game, they had Taylor Hendricks in that 13 range. And now you'll hear people say he's either nine or 10, right? Like just outside the top 10, but you know, going and watching him, uh, they played against ECU, which isn't a world beater, but they had a guy, uh, Brandon Johnson, who really entertained at the back end of my top 100 and, and they matched up against each other and Taylor Hendricks would just, he looked like the dude. I mean, it's it's very apparent he's NBA ready. And he he scored, I think, like 25 points off the top of my head without look, going back and looking at everything. He was just – he was so impressive. But he did more than just, like, what he gets recognized nationally for, you know, as a shot blocker and three-point shooter. You know, he cut well off the ball. The, the, the experimentation with the passing, you know, setting screens. He's used, ver- like, more often I think he gets credit for as a screener and that's with his current frame, which he also kind of gets knocked for right now, too. So he was just the most impressive in terms of living up to the hype and the expectations out of all other prospects that I've seen so far. OK, no, that's fair. And and to be honest, even like I'll say I was probably the latest when it comes to our website and our team in terms of being in on Taylor Hendricks. Like I, I, I and I still personally have him the lowest on my board. And I think it, the reason why, and I kind of want to get into this a little bit with you is that you, especially since you saw him live, mm-hmm. you, you just mentioned that he's got some NBA readiness to him, right? You yeah. mentioned the shot blocking, the shooting, and then in person, you found some of the passing chops, some of the cutting, the off ball stuff, screen setting, whatever. I, I think for me, the difficulty that I, I've had with Hendrix till now was I think I had trouble kind of placing him in a position, which is funny because why the hell am I doing that anyway? The NBA is going to be a position <laughs> positionless league and it already sure. is right in a lot of ways. But for whatever reason, like I've always felt people have been projecting him as more of a wing and I just didn't see that at all. And I really saw him as a four and I wanted him to play like a modern four. Um, but, you know, talking about it with Corey and he was like, dude, like, relax. Like, it's not that serious. Like, he just look at what he can do, what he's good at. Um, and, and, and it's pretty incredible to see. And I think that de- that definitely helped me. I know our very own Nathan Grubler just dropped uh, his Monday morning uh, piece and he great piece. has yeah. great piece. Number one, shouts to Nathan always. Um, but he now has Hendrix in his top 10. And mm-hmm. so I, I think it's perfect that you're on this pod so that I can ask you this, but 
you, you talk about the NBA readiness. You talked about some of the skills there. How do you project him? What, what does he look like on the next level to you? If you were an NBA front office, NBA coach, how would you try to utilize and try to mold Taylor Hendricks into like an NBA player? What does that look like for you? His, his developmental path. Well, first, you know, Albert, I want to talk. I was recently on just like many of us at No Ceilings or with with Metcalf on the Friday show. And I got to actually talk about Taylor Hendricks on that episode. And what I I wrote about him like way back January 1st for the website. And the the title of that piece was Taylor made for the NBA, you know, and, uh, you know, play off of his name, name, obviously. But if you look at what the NBA is doing with what I'm calling modernized Twin Tower lineups, where you have a lot of length, but there's a lot of skill to it, right? Like you, you'll appreciate this, Albert. Remember the, you know, Rashid and Ben Wallace, right? Of like course. how two kind of diametrically opposed skill sets, but they fit so beautifully together. Um, the NBA has kind of embraced a little bit of that with, you know, look at teams like Cleveland, like Utah, with Orlando, even Minnesota to a certain extent with how they've experimented this year. I think Taylor kind of fits that same type of mold where you could look at Orlando the way they're constructed right now, right? And say, well, they got Franz Wagner, who's a little bit of a creator off the wing. They have Paulo Boncaro, who's going to be their number one guy. They have Markel Fultz. There's really not a spot on the floor that Taylor Hendricks can't occupy on that current roster right now and be a solid contributor. You know, I talked about how nationally he's he's looked at as a three-point shooter, which he has shot very well on significant volume all season long. Um, the shot looks great in person too, by the way. And then weak side rim protection. So you're looking at a team like Orlando who has Wendell Carter Jr., who's a little bit undersized at the five, but very skilled. He, I think that he fits very nicely next to him. Paulo can still be perimeter-oriented and get to his spots on the bully ball, and there's nothing that Franz Wagner can't do on an NBA court, right? So even a team like Orlando who has multiple picks within the lottery this season, Utah, the same thing. They just got rid of, you know, Jared Vanderbilt to the Los Angeles Lakers. He, you know, Taylor Hendricks kind of fits that same type of mold where he's a defensive-minded, versatile forward who can do a little bit of everything on the court, right? So versatility I think is the name of the game for Hendricks but it starts with his you know NBA ready skill set of being a, a three and D forward right off the jump I, I think the ver the Vanderbilt comp is pretty awesome um I, I think if, I, I I hate to say it but Vanderbilt is I, I in my opinion was criminally <laughs> underrated for a while yeah <clears throat> and he was a guy that I, I just loved watching play I, I'm sure Metcalf felt felt the same uh, when he was on the on the Timberwolves, but he's just a guy that can do so many things mm -hmm. and plug so many holes for you. And okay, so Stephen, I, I loved everything that you said. Right? Ultimately, the versatility. <laughs> and you know what I was wondering though, as you were talking, is, is it crazy to think that in like two minute spurts, like two and a half minute spurts, that he could play a little bit of small small ball five? Well, and that's one of the other things that I talked with Metcalf about is like. There's a lot of discord on can he be a three four? Can he be a four five? Is he just a straight up four? And you know everything that you were just kind of pointing out. If he's going to be a five, he's got to fill out. Now he's a, yeah. a young man. He's got the frame that can support it. There's only so much weight you can put on in a short amount of time. I think once he gets into his grown man body, absolutely. You know, um, one of the things that I was the most concerned about with his overall game was the rebounding, even against kind of like a smaller team in ECU, you can see that he gets moved off as the spots really easily. Um, but once he starts adding that strength, and I would say it's probably lineup dependent, he might be able to give you some minutes as a small ball five. But ultimately, um, I kind of look at him more as like a, it's lineup dependent. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, I would say it depends on who they go up against, but I wouldn't be surprised if he is an effective small ball five. I, I think my favorite thing from what you just said is um, you called him a young man. And uh, for our yeah. listeners out there, you, myself, and Rucker are all the same age. And um, <laughs> we are now of the age where, um, you know, these prospects are young men to us. I hate calling them kids. I don't <laughs> I don't like the I don't like what's associated with the whole kid thing. I, yeah. I try to, yeah. you know, you're old enough to do certain things at the age that Taylor oh, yeah. Hendricks is at. Right. So <laughs> I, I like I to give him a little bit of credit as a, for sure. as a man. For sure. Young man is great, but I, I think it's just hilarious that you and I are of that age now. And I will say, hey, the three of us, us yep. being what well, we're all turning 33 this year. We uh, yeah. we have our End grown man. Month. We have our grown man strength now. So if you ever see me, <laughs> Rucker and Steven, stay away. OK, because. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> super easy to put on weight at this age. Wait till he gets oh, 33. That is that is very true. But um, with everything that you said, I, I love that. And I wanted to throw a comp at you. If you hate sure. it, tell me you hate it. Tell me I'm an idiot. It's I, I, I love call that. you an idiot, but I, I'll hate your comp. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering to myself, could his career trajectory mm-hmm. at the high end be like a Kyle Kuzma type? Is that I hate crazy? It. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's not crazy. Um, I'll say that um, can I, I'll go ahead and get into one of the questions that I asked him, if that's OK. So in terms of development throughout the year, you know, I, I asked I asked Taylor post game that, you know, hey, I think most people would recognize you as a three point shooter and as a shot blocker. You've shown great improvement in a lot of different areas of your game, like the cutting, uh, the screening things that I talked about. I would even say rebounding to a certain degree. But the the ball handling hasn't been there right and uh i didn't mention that in my question i kind of wanted to see how he would answer what he thinks that he needs to improve on the most and he went straight into the ball handling and i think that that's something that kyle kuzma had you know coming into the nba as a as a small ball for as a young man uh coming into the (laughs) into the nba he was able to do a little bit with the ball in his hand and transition and stuff like that taylor really relies on being set up at this point in his career so I would say if that's going to happen, the ball handling has to take drastic improvement, but I wouldn't rule anything out with him. For sure. For sure. I I love, I love the mind games that you're playing with these young men and that you're (laughs) coercing them into the answers that you want. I'm trying to get them to show how young of men they actually are whenever they're asking these questions. But Steven, I I love that you kind of, I wouldn't say you finagled it, but like you, you did a great job of getting the answer that you wanted. Right. Like I think, I brought up Kuzma because it's exactly that. If Hendricks can eventually get his handle to a point where he can do Kuzma type of stuff, then mm-hmm. that's a really exciting outcome for teams because I don't, it, people may not be paying attention to the season, but Kyle Kuzma is having a really great season for yeah. the Washington Wizards, you know, and he's a guy who has grown and developed over the course of his career, whether he was on the Lakers or wherever. And, and, the shooting has gotten better for him, but the defense has kind of always been there. Well, not always been there, oh, yeah. but he's a really solid defender, you know, mm-hmm. and it seems like Hendricks has that. But with Kuzma, as you mentioned, he's had the handle. He can create and get shots for himself and cre- create for others. And I think that's where Hendricks was lacking. So for me, in my mind, when I saw people talking about Hendricks kind of as like a wing, I was like, well, there I have some disconnect because for me, it's like for you to be a wing, you kind of have to have, that handle you have to be able to create for yourself but i'm with you i I just don't think that's there look at what look at what certain teams can do like uh cleveland is a little bit of a unicorn in this aspect but larry marketing at the three you know that's where i get into like the whole it really depends on where he lands as opposed to like what position and things like that that he'll play and there are certain prospects where it's team dependent kind of in a in a negative way you know what I mean? But for Taylor, he's so, like I said, he's so versatile coming in that his developmental path could like, if there's multiverses out there, right. And we can look at all of them. I think Taylor might have one of the more diverse, you know, outcomes throughout the the multiverse yeah. in, in terms of how he turns out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love that you just threw multiverse in there because I, you're the best man. You're that Ant Man and Wasp was a great I, movie. You know, do you uh, do you actually you actually liked it, huh? I, dude, it's crazy. I typically will watch a movie to enjoy it and not okay. to like find things that I hate about it. I know that that's like a crazy concept for young young men nowadays, but I actually go to the movies to try to like have a good time and, and yeah. enjoy a movie. But I, I I was impressed. Okay, okay, I. I won't hate you for it. I think <laughs> for me, it's I, like I my really, Kuzma comp right here saying that I like the I struggled. Animal Wasp. <laughs> I, 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 for me, I think I just struggled with the pacing of the movie. I felt like there, we kind of just skipped through things, and then like, I, I will say though, I think Jonathan Majors as King the Conqueror was incredible, yes. and mm-hmm. I just saw him in Creed three last weekend, and he was incredible. How was it? The, I think the movie was good, and he was incredible. Did um, he make the movie? 
I, I, he carried. It was to the point, Stephen, and I won't, and I don't say this lightly. He blew Michael B. Jordan out of the water. Um, okay, he actually did, and he was incredible. Like, I, I won't spoil it for you. I really do hope you get to go see the movie in theaters because it, it's, it's a great experience, and he was incredible. And I thought he was good in Ant Man too. So, okay, let me stop there. We're not here to talk about <laughs> movies, but so you're talking about Hendrix. Talked about what you saw. You, you said he was the most impressive prospect that you saw up close. I, I feel like any scout any evaluator out there, you're going to kind of have your biases. There are certain Mm -hmm. things that you look for in players, certain things that you prefer in players, certain things that like certain tools or gifts and talents where you're like, oh, I I really like guys who are like this, right? What are some of your biases as a scout? What are certain things that if a prospect has these things, I'm going to kind of be more inclined to like them than others? I think length at their position is going to be one of the big things because even if you're a smaller guy, you know, having length will, will certainly make up for it. One thing that, you know, I've done this year was I tried to get more to like my analytical dives. And I've, I've mentioned this on a number of shows and, you know, Maxwell and I have shared, shared thoughts on this too. If you look at the players that typically will, that will succeed the most and like have go on, go on to have successful NBA careers, their rebounding numbers um, in terms of percentages actually, are more indicative than what I think people will give them credit for. Even guards, right? Like even smaller players will have these obscene rebounding numbers. So a player like Brandon Pajemski, who I had the pleasure of interviewing earlier on in the year, his rebound numbers are absurd. And some some people will, will look at that and say, you know, how do we, what do we make of this? Because is this something that he's crashing the boards that hard or is it scheme for him to come up with these rebounds for grab and go opportunities and stuff like that? That's where I kind of diverge from the, the analytical side and use that to kind of support what I'm seeing on the floor. Um, but, you know, I, I love length. I love the rebounding for the position. Um, for big man, you know, being able to – I know that we talk about good hands and good feet um, throughout different areas of no ceilings all the time, but it really is true when, it, when, when you look at big man. That's why I like Trace Jackson Davis so much this year is that – his footwork is impeccable. His body contortion is impeccable. But the way that he can just go to different angles when scoring in the paint is just freaking insane. And then, you know, I'm a sucker for steal and block percentages just like anybody else. So when I see a player have those, I kind of have a tendency to go, okay, let me check out and see what this guy is doing, you know, whether he's a namer or not. So uh, those are kind of some of my biases. I, I'm i a big uh you know, shooting is important for every position nowadays. So I feel like that's a, that's an easy answer, but those are kind of some of my biases when I'm evaluating scout or um, players. No, that that's awesome, man. And I feel like those are really important skills to have in the modern NBA teams have teams really like guys who are long. And I think it makes sense for us to be looking for those things. Okay. If you had to pick a player, who embodies all that, everything that you talked about, length and rebounding and shooting and all that stuff, block percentage, steal, whatever. Who who would be a player that kind of embodies all of that for you? Like, the, like oh, I'm looking for, when I'm, when I'm looking for players, I like this type of guy. If you had to name somebody, I, I won't put a gun to your head this time. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm a little bit more comfortable asking your question <laughs> or answering your question now. Um, I I know I'm cheating by, Sailor, by saying Taylor Hendricks, so... Um, I'll put him in there. I like Brandon Miller a lot as a prospect and everything that he's been doing this year. Um, Jairus Walker is another guy who I was kind of late to the party. Um, These multifaceted, you know, I like Cason Wallace a lot as a guard, even though that he's not really a lead guy. Um, And then another player who, okay, here's another bias I have. Sorry. I'm kind of catching up to, to some of my previous drafting experience. So I love guards that aren't necessarily like the most bursty, but they're slippery. Like I was a big Tyrese Halliburton guy mm-hmm. whenever he was coming up. And, you know, there was a, you know, when this was when the mellow ball was coming out also. Right. So you had like the high flash, um, pretty athletic guard. And then you kind of had like this kind of pokey proddy, uh, really efficient kind of snakes his way into stuff with Halliburton love Shea Gilgis Alexander for a lot of those same reasons. Um, I Jalen Hushafino is another guy who kind of fits that type of mold for me where he's not super bursty, super poppy, anything like that. 
He just knows how to like get to his spots. He has a crazy efficient mid range game. He's growing as a playmaker. I think the shot will translate out, but he he's I'm getting to a scary place with him where I'm like, who wouldn't I entertain, you know, JHS over right wow. now in terms of guard prospects. It's uh like I said, I don't know if it's just because it's early March right now and I'm bored, but I'm starting to get to a scary place with mm-hmm. JHS. No, I I love all that, man. I think for me that all makes sense. Um, I think the guys that you named are really good players and guys that kind of, that really do embody everything that you mentioned. I think for me personally, like I, I'm just like, I just like guys that are versatile. I like guys who can do multiple things and guys who, um, can do things that are like not not normal for their size. Um, I like bigger guys who have guard skills, um, bigger guys that can shoot. I've always liked those types of guys. I like, I like guards who like, I've, I generally like guards who are six, five, um, which is like a weird thing, but like if you're six four for whatever reason, I don't love you. You're but trash you're six, at that point. I know. Point, yeah. But if that you're six five, the difference. exactly. You know, um, maybe it's a Michael Jordan thing. I don't know. But <laughs> if you're like six four and under, like I have question marks. But if you're six five and up, I'm like, oh, you're good. Um, which is why, like, I, I loved like back in the day, like, yeah, Josh Hart was a guy coming out of college. I was like, oh, you're going to be great. You're going to be fantastic. Mm. Um, I. I was I wrong? I don't know. I think he's really good. He's he's, he's a Nick really good basketball player. I, I love him on the Knicks. Um, and in this draft, like I'm I'm writing about him this week, but I, I love Kobe Jones. And like I just I love that he's six yeah. five. If he was six four, if he was six three, I'd be out on him. But because he's six five, and some people have have him listed as six six, I'm like, all right, perfect. You're the guy that I'm gonna be in love with, you know. But I I also like you know bigger guys who have like toolsy that have some gifts have some guard skills. Jed Howard, I wrote about him, have him in my top five. He hasn't left. Don't care what anybody says. Don't care about his perceived cold streak of eight games where he had like a busted ankle, whatever. I'm not going to freak out. Um, I think he's still going to be really good. He's not Mm. in my top five, but I I like those types of guys. Obviously I like guys who can shoot, but if I had to pick one guy, it'd be Lamar Odom. Like I've always loved. I love Lamar. Thank you. Like he, he do Turk lose another guy that I was super big fan of coming up. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a question though? Sure. What's a yeah. bigger problem for you? A guard who is six four or a center who is six eight? Uh guard is six four. Um okay. I, I don't mind centers who are six eight because Ben Wallace and Draymond Green and others have taught me to, you know, not Chuck worry. Hayes. Chuck Chuck Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't thought about Chuck Hayes in a minute. Um, but yeah, you know, like I, I think it really depends. I mean, because when when we're talking about like centers and rim protection and interior defense like i think so much of that is not so much about your height but anticipation and processing and length and strength and there's so many different things right footwork and all that stuff um but like a six four guard for whatever reason like bothers me um Mm. like if you're a six four shooting guard like i don't love you but then again it's not exactly (laughs) true because i love um scoot henderson quickly I know, like, I I love Scoot, he's 6'2", and I loved Tyrese Maxey when he was coming out, he's like 6'2", 6'3". Emmanuel, quickly, I love, but I'd be over the moon if he was 6'5". I'm weird, man, I Mm. get it. Like, I say things, and I don't mean them, maybe. I have no idea what's going on here. Um, But... I love love it, man. I love it. I mean, (laughs) people are getting premium content right now. The scouts (laughs) that will admit biases and faults that they have in their their process. But I will say this, Stephen. The Halliburton piece, I really dropped the ball on that one. Halliburton was a guy that I think I had ranked like 11th or 12th. And looking back on it now, I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, the guy was incredible. Yeah, the shot looks weird, but the shot goes in pretty. So I had him four. I really liked him. I even entered, I was, I was in a dark place where I was thinking about putting him over a Lamelo ball. That's a bright place. That's a bright place because you may end up right on that, um, on the right side of history on that. Who knows, right? I mean, you never know, but I, I certainly got one through three wrong. I would say for that <laughs> class, for what it's worth. So, uh, so I, okay. I, the next question that I had was: You are at these like post game stuff, right? Media access, whatever. Um, I will say, I, I did want to give you some kudos, some props. Okay. Right. I feel like you've asked some really good questions. Like even the Taylor Andrews question that you asked, I thought was really good. Um, of the players that you've talked to and the questions that you've gotten to ask, whatever, who gave you the best answers? Who was like the most eloquent? Who was like, it felt like, you know, they're really, you know, well-spoken, really thought about their answer, gave you really good answers. Who would you say was the best to interview so far? Well, so if I'm talking like interview straight up, I didn't get a chance to do it. 
at a game or anything, but, you know, speaking with a, uh, uh, Bubby Clintman out of Wake Forest, mm-hmm. um, the, the Swede freak, as he is referred to, um, he's a big Giannis fan if the nickname didn't give it away, but talking with him about his upbringing in Sweden and then coming over to play in Kansas with great, with Grady Dick, um, was, was just crazy. And then talking about, you know, his world world play experience, talking about going to go play for Wake Forest and things like that. Just extremely likable young man. Um, if I had a daughter his age, like he could marry my daughter type type kid. So, or young man, excuse me. Um, he was just extremely eloquent, very humble, very respectful. And he, as of late, has been tearing it up. So yeah. really happy to kind of see the, the second half performance for him. But in person, I would say um, Amin Thompson, when I got to ask him the question about, you know, what's he doing when he's not playing basketball? And he says, you know, he gets on 2K and he beats up a SAR and, and all that fun stuff was really fun. So, you know, getting to see him light up about something other than basketball, I think that's a big thing that a lot of a lot of us in the media have to remember is that as much as we want to pretend like the only thing that these, you know, young men are allowed to think about is basketball, um, they they have lives that exist off the court and things like that. So being able to to see him light up and talk about something other than, you know, practice or film study or, you know, what's he need to work on and all that other stuff, you know, seeing how he's a LeBron James fan, but plays with Steph Curry and the Warriors on 2K and he beats up his brother on video games. Just seeing that little bit of a, you know, human aspect to him was pretty cool. <clears throat> no, for sure, dude. I, I I think you made a great point. These guys are human these guys are people. They have lives outside of the basketball court. And I think we can forget that. We can. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot goes on. And, you know, there's been that <clears throat> viral clip of um, that guy talking about uh, Kyrie Irving's dad. And yeah. the whole story and how Kyrie came to be who he is. And um, it, it was pretty moving to watch that, yeah. you know. And I was like, oh, like... Uh, it's easy for us to point fingers. It's easy for us to judge, to cast judgment on people and to, um, you know, critique and criticize people based off of what we see just off film and off the screen and what they are doing in front of a camera. But these people have real lives and real histories and real context. And I think you made a really good point, man. I, I think uh, we need to always remember that um, about these players that they have real lives and real situations. And, you know, I, I don't say any of this to excuse any bad behavior or anything like that, but sure. um, it kind of is what it is. You know, people go through stuff and even like recently everything going on with John Morant, like I, I understand um, not that I understand what he's done. Um, not trying to excuse any of that, but um, I still think that there's a lot of potential with that guy. And I think um, he might need some help. He might need some guidance. He might need some, you know, uh, talking to, um, but I think he's awesome and I think he's going to be better and he's going to be, this could be a great turning point for him, a launch pad even for him to learn and grow from this and, you know, move on to have a great career. So yeah, I, I just really love that point that you made because sometimes we can forget that. Yeah. I mean, we want to pretend that, you know, like I said, these guys are just robots. They make a lot of money, so they don't feel, they don't think they don't do anything. They're, they're only for our entertainment. And, you know, I think it's easy to kind of come to that kind of, kind of rudimentary thinking there but yeah i mean even though that what a man talked about wasn't as like as a as a deep thing or anything like that it's just there's so much context that we're not privy to knowing and then we come up with such definitive statements and thought processes and stuff like that i'm always in the mindset like if you don't know 50 percent of it you probably should kind of just keep your opinion to yourself mm-hmm. you know yeah no, that's that's a great point. Okay, so uh, where I wanted to go next was, and this is pretty. I won't lie, this is selfishly for me because okay, where I'm at is you know when it comes to you know you and I and the rest of the people, our people here at No Ceilings, uh, we do a good amount of writing, and I think for me the writing process has always been kind of a difficult thing. Like I know I'm not like you and Nathan and Maxwell, where you guys are writing every single week. Like I that's really difficult for me and like my process and the way that um, like, I just need more time um, mm. because I, I number one, like I've, I've always been, and I've had really great conversations with people, even at our website, just I've always been pretty insecure about my writing. And so like, I've always felt like I needed more time to kind of vent myself and make sure like I'm, everything's accurate or whatever. Like I, I can be pretty hard on myself, you know, as I'm writing these pieces, but I, I wanted to ask what your writing process is like, you know, as you're 
pretty much posting every weekend for us. Um, and honestly, your writing's gotten a ton of traction and a lot of re viewers and readers. Um, but I wanted to ask you, how are you preparing for your pieces? Where are you drawing um, inspiration from? Um, what is that process like for you on a weekly basis? Well, it's so weird too, man, because growing up, I, I didn't read a lot. I, I wasn't a big reader. Uh, I, I feel like I kind of had a knack for writing, you know, even in college I, when I did attend classes uh, and I would like put my, my effort into my writing. My teachers always kind of liked my work and I never really pursued it like at any level at all. So uh, being able to do what I do at No Ceilings, man, it's a big blessing because like I said, I'm I'm more of a worker than I am anything else. Like I'm not trained in any I'm not trained in like the historical sense that you would expect someone who's in sports media or anything like that to have come up on. Right. So a lot of what I do is just based on pieces that I've read at other sporting outlets and stuff like that. My process is kind of similar to you, man, where I do a little bit day by day because, you know, of my day job and, you know, family obligations and stuff like that. I can't, I can't pump out. There's, there's people on our staff who can be like, okay, my piece comes out in like 12 hours. Let me just jam this out real quick and they can do it and they'll do a hell of a job and you couldn't even know it. Um, I am not that talented at all. Like I need a full week. Uh, my inspiration comes from players. I like, you know, thought pieces, you know, one of my favorite pieces that I've done this year was the lock draft. And that was because I had to fill in, you know, and it was just like, for me, huh? <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I filled in for you. Right. And, I, I kind of was like, I also don't know what to write about, but I'm like such a yes man. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm like, I, I'm trained at my job. If I see a hole, like run in and jump and fill it, like no questions asked. So I raise my hand and I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. So sometimes my process is like, let me just think of something crazy. Like what have I not tried yet? And that's where the lock draft uh, process came up on. And it was just like, I, I haven't even heard of this. I, I'm not like patting myself on the back, but I don't know where I got that idea from. Like that inspiration was just kind of like, could have been like, you know, <laughs> a divine thing just placed upon me. I have no idea, but I, but I just wrote it. Um, I like to just shake things up a lot, but my, my inspiration could be something that I watched that week. Just a crazy thought that popped into my head or sometimes, man, shout out to Nathan. I'll just be like, who should I write about this week? And he'll be like, here's a name. And then I'll start watching film and stuff like that. And that'll start getting my juices going. And I'll be like, okay, yeah, this is a pretty, pretty cool prospect to, to watch and talk about and stuff like that. So if I'm not feeling it myself, man, just, you know, the family at No Ceilings is a big inspiration and motivation for me to keep pushing and doing better. <clears throat> I think that's interesting, dude. I think the process of writing and... Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, just like the process overall can be such a trip sometimes. And I, and I think for me, like I, I really struggle. Um, just number one, can I, can yeah. I interrupt real quick? For sure. I keep hearing that you struggle and you're insecure about your writing and stuff like that. And I promise you, Albert, you know me well enough. And when, I, if I'm blowing smoke and if I'm not, yeah. I swear, I swear I'm not. You have one of like the best writing styles on the entire staff. And I, I look for your, <laughs> your, um, Pedro Pascal piece. Mm -hmm. You, you got on to me for trying to peek because I saw the title, <laughs> um, for, for the website that we use. I saw it and I was like, what the heck? Like in my head, I was like, this has to be Albert because nobody else could pull this off. And then when it dropped, I was just like, only garbage time gim could pull off something <laughs> like this and just make it like totally awesome the the use of pop culture and things like that is is just phenomenal man so no. um kind of similar to how i was talking about with the men thompson like even as writers and stuff like that man like we're people and you don't really yeah. know what's going on but when i see it's like seeing a men thompson play basketball right like there's a lot of things about his game where you're like this translates like he's super talented like he has all the tools like i can read that about your work and then you'd be like, I'm struggling, I'm insecure. And like, well, damn, like he's super talented. What does he got to be insecure about? You know, I, <clears throat> Steve, number one, I appreciate that. That's incredible praise uh, coming from you. Um, I think just for me, like if, if I can explain a little bit, it's just like I, uh, I, I think I just want it to be good. 
it's yeah. as simple as that you know like in my, my brain i'm just like i want what i'm pumping out there to be good i want it to be entertaining i want people to read what i'm writing and be like okay this is distinctively albert uniquely albert is kind of like where my mind goes and i think that can be a really difficult exercise for me at times you know yeah. and which is why like i feel like i i'm very thankful that we have me on a bi-weekly writing schedule just because like for my brain to get there and to absorb a player because like for me it's really important that i write about a player that i like and if yeah. i don't like him it's really hard for me to write about him because i just don't want to ever be disingenuous about what i'm writing um yeah. so like that's like a whole process and then like pinpointing exactly why i like a player and then thinking about how can i effectively then deliver why i like this player so much to the people who are reading my you get what i'm saying like there's so no many i feel levels. you yeah and i think that's the hard part i think for us as writers where ultimately we want to relay a message and that message is we like this player or don't like this player, but we want to do that effectively so that our readers, <clears throat> number one, care about what we're writing about and then also walk away having learned something or, you yeah. know, having felt something. And I think that's where my mind goes, you know, I think, so, yeah, I think what you're saying, I, I, I would say if you gave like a lot of, you know, writers and podcasters truth serum, they would answer you very similarly to where there it feels like there's such a burden right like with the the incredible success that you know no ceilings is having as a platform like there's places that i'm traveling and i tell people what i do like oh you're with those like there are people that know what we do and which is phenomenal and and i love that part but with that there's a there's a little bit of a burden with expectation right because when you're in the public's eye you're transforming into a place where people go to get information you want to make sure that you're giving the absolute best information that you possibly can. And then for you, Albert, like how you're saying you got to make it uniquely you, you do that with every piece, right? So there are certain aspects of my writing where I, I do try to be unique and stuff yeah. like that as well, yeah. but I don't pull like the pop culture stuff the way that you do. Right. So some of your, your writing might just be like time based on what's going on around us so that's like a whole another layer that you have to like bake into yeah. into your writing that you know i would say thankfully i don't necessarily do all the time so i could definitely understand why that would be a little bit more uh, challenging on your end yeah no i number one uh, once again appreciate the kind words um mm -hmm. but like what like for all of us though like i i see all the content that we pump out every single day and i read our website and i don't always say something just because like i i always try to be pretty reserved with my words um especially like when it comes to like group stuff if you if for our listeners out there if you've ever been a part of a group chat like it, it can things can get crazy so i try to be a little bit more reserved in our group chat but just like reading all the stuff that you guys are doing and pumping out there it, it really does amaze me even earlier in this pod you referred to your top 100 and in my head i was like oh my god steven has top 100 like this is a you don't want to know that, you don't want to know the number that i have on drink <laughs> but but i like even before you came to no ceilings like i remember you you posting your big boards and mock drafts um when you were elsewhere and i was always like wow this guy's like incredible like the volume and the scope and the range that you have and all that this is incredible which kind of leads me to my next thing uh, my next question for you as or we're, we're probably going to start rapid i didn't realize we're 52 minutes in um, this has been great like just <laughs> like you know um what what would you want to call this like therapy session mm. right for like mm. podcast or content creator yeah. therapy yeah i i hope our listeners out there if you are a pod podcast host or creator or writer or whatever i hope this has been informative to you but i want to ask about your whole podcasting thing now, yeah. um, you and I first met when you were a part of the Off the Ball Network, and you actually yeah. invited me to come onto your pod to talk about draft stuff. And we talked about Will Richardson, who's still in college somehow. Shout and out, shout <laughs> out to Will Richardson, man! Like, still <laughs> now hope that he can that he can figure <clears throat> some stuff out. Um, but I want to ask you now, being a co-host with for the Draft Deeper podcast and working with Nathan and working with um with maxwell was just wondering what that experience has been like for you um ha have things changed for you at all um what's that dynamic like and even like on a very basic level you guys host a pod with the three of you guys and mm -hmm. having three guys over Streamyard or, or or zoom or whatever 
it, it's not always the easiest to like time when to talk and how long to listen for and how to react. And sometimes you forget to mute your mic and suddenly you're coughing into your <laughs> mic there. There's so many different variables going on. I feel on. personally attacked when you say no, that. No, man. no, I, I literally <laughs> did that four times this pod, but um, was wondering what that's been like for you as an experience since you've come over to No Ceilings. Well, first off, man, like any opportunity that I hear someone mention off the ball in my time there, you know, just Chris, like the entire Jeff, Mo, like the entire crew. I'm super grateful for the the time and the uh, the experience that I, that I got with uh, such great group of dudes, man, who just flat out just love sports, like every aspect of it. And, uh, you know, that's where I really got to meet you guys and, you know, start networking and things like that. So I don't take my time there for granted at all. But working with Nathan, man, it's it's been great. You know, one of the the first bits of good news about other than, you know, being accepted into no ceilings was that Nathan reached out to me on, on his own and was like, hey, man, like the good news isn't over. I'm like, what's up? He goes, I want you to co-host Draft Deeper with me. So when I got picked up, I believe it was like January of last year for no ceilings. Nathan and I started co-hosting. So that really helped me like get to know him. and then. Throughout the year before Maxwell and I joined No Ceilings, like he and I kind of started a our own little side venture together called Pick and Roll, where we did a little bit of work um, on the side together, where we talked about prospects and big boards and things like that. So I've had experience podcasting with the both of them, like on a two man front. Um, I was actually under I was on assignment with uh, when Nathan when he emailed me about Maxwell coming on. I was like, okay, this ought to be good because like I love both of those dudes. So we started talking about how the the three man weave essentially was going to work with with us. And, uh, you know, Max was being brought on as the lead co-host and Nathan obviously is the is the guy. So Nathan does first off, does a tremendous job of setting us up like he he lets us know what the topics are coming into every show. Um, It'll be based off of some of our writing or some of, you know, observations that we've made on Twitter or, you know, if we go and see prospects in person, things like that. So we have a general idea of like when the conversation is going to get shifted to different guys. Uh, I, I try to do a little hand raise technique whenever I'm ready to speak and things like that, because there are little moments where we talk over each other, but the the building the chemistry with the three of us over this year, when we, you know, bet, you know, when we started doing our big three uh, podcasting together, it's just picking up on little things from each other. Those little nuances, like it's, it's not, it's too dissimilar Nike if you're listening to how basketball is played, right? So you kind of pick up on little body languages. You know, if someone kind of opens their mouth just a little bit, like, okay, Maxwell is ready to talk. Yeah. Or if I see Nathan like make a face whenever I'm giving a take, which rarely ever happens. Nathan always agrees with, I, with what I say. But um, I can I kind of know when, when guys are going to say stuff. Hmm. That The one thing I want to say about your pod that you guys do together um i love the chemistry that the three of you guys have i feel like number one just like audibly the three of you guys have very distinct voices um you've got this like really deep voice and it sounds great and then nathan has his voice southern gentleman yeah southern gentleman and then maxwell's (laughs) voice is a little bit more high pitched, but it's like very like sharp his voice i would say it's like really clear and easy to listen to like all of you guys sound very unique and different and it sounds great together because of how unique and different you guys are um i I do like that there are three of you guys though because it Mm -hmm. just adds to the variability of what you guys are talking about and the perspective that you guys are giving but i I just wanted to ask because it was it it was incredible it's still incredible and interesting for me to see three guys together on like a weekly basis talking about stuff because it it can be easy like even for Corey and i i've been potting now with Corey for like two years um and we i mean this in the best way it feels Mm -hmm. like it's been longer i feel like (laughs) I've known you and Corey mm. being on draft tech together. It feels like almost my whole adult life mm-hmm. just because y'all are just like so natural together, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think like even for us, there was like a little bit of a learning curve. And um, I think Corey does a great job at number one hosting. And then, yeah. you know, I, I think we always try to be super respectful of each other's time and reacting to each other and timing, like when to cut in or whatever and trying not to 
um interrupt each other too much because like i get it like some people like that like that's why like talking mm -hmm. head shows exist and people like when they yell at each other and whatever but Corey and i are we just we don't have that dynamic i, I don't i think not to say that those people don't respect each other but i think for us like we definitely really try to respect each other and each other's time so it, but even for us like in the beginning it took some time for us to kind of get our groove and we had to learn about each other as human beings too and now mm -hmm. like i feel like i know so much about Corey and his family and he knows a lot about me and my family and like that that's the thing like you mentioned with basketball players they're players on the court but also have lives off of it and they have yep. personalities and context and i think even for podcasters please please don't come for me saying that i'm trying to um <laughs> compare podcasters to athletes but even for no, us, we are we are we're, we're the exact same <laughs> we are athletes but even for us we're, we're people you know and you know we we get to know each other and we build relationships and all of this then kind of in my opinion feeds into the mic you know the the rapport that you have the camaraderie you have yeah. the connection the relationship all that then comes through the mic and i think people can feel that so i, I just want to say i feel that with you and maxwell and nathan as well like i feel like you guys genuinely like each other you guys genuinely respect each other you listen to each other's opinions i think you guys are learning from each other and i think that that's the beautiful part of like your team, but also most teams like that's how it should mm -hmm. be, you know, so did want to give you that. And um, before we wrap up, I know we're about to hit the hour mark. Um, wanted to ask, like, you know, at the end, we like to do kind of like, what are you watching type of thing? I look, I already know you're going to be like, hey, I've got, you know, 44 kids. What time do you think I have? But still, <laughs> you know, you just mentioned Ant-Man. I do watch I'm, TV a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. I'm glad you got to see Ant-Man. But other than basketball, because we essentially just talk about basketball all yeah. the time, and I love it, and I love you guys for it, but I'm a little bit different, and I think that comes out of my writing, too, where, like, as much as I love bit. basketball, I kind of need that to be on par with everything else in my life as well, where I really do prioritize my personal life a lot and, like, my friends, and if you guys follow me on Instagram – um it's um at albert no what's my instagram handle i don't even know i think it's gtg nba i don't but, answer that much okay but if you guys follow my instagram account you'll see that i spend a lot of time with my close friends and we go out in la and we like to eat at great restaurants and whatever because i, I really do believe that we need that time away from basketball mm. as well and so steven for you whether it's a TV show you're watching with your kids or with your wife or just on your own. And it, and it could even be, I don't know, a book you're reading, any type of. Um, so essentially the question is, what's something that you're consuming outside of basketball that's for you? Yeah. So I, like my head was going to consumable media, like as you were, as you were breaking that down, first off, uh, as a dad with 192 kids, uh, I would say that one of the most accurate like kid shows that, uh, I think a lot of parents will agree with this. They're probably already saying it as I'm walking into my answer. Uh, Bluey, shout out. Bluey is like the goat um, show that I think parents like actually enjoy watching mm -hmm. with their kids. It's an incredibly funny shows, you know, family of dogs that are, that live in Australia. And it is, I literally laugh out loud almost every wow. time I'll watch that show. It's fantastic. But when I'm not watching kid appropriate or yeah, kid appropriate shows, my life and I, she has got me suckered in to like the most trash TV and I love it. So she is really big into like cryptology and stuff like that. And she, she believes that Bigfoot's real. I'm, I'm not here to say one way or the other, but she got me into the show called mountain monsters and it's on discovery plus for anybody who who's interested. And it is about a, a team of just lovable hillbilly redneck bumpkins and i can say that because you know i'm from arkansas um who go out in search of like these mythological creatures they just it's them in overalls and shotguns just wow. a bunch of obscenities just looking for things that aren't real and it is just like one of the most fun times watching tv that you'll have and then she's also got me into this other show on discovery plus called a uh, lone star law which is about you know uh uh, like game wardens and stuff like that based out of Texas and some of the stuff that they get into as far as like, you know, they help out with border patrol. They, they see if people are catching legal fish and stuff like that. And it's set like, as I'm explaining, it sounds terrible, but I promise you like it's, it's actually a pretty entertaining show. 
Um, I'm also super big into, you know, spending time with my son. He's big into Pokemon. Uh, you know, mm. you and I, we, we were raised on the Pokemon. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, ever since we were young men, we loved Pokemon. And now I get to like keep that tradition up with Trevor, um, my oldest. And I'm a big nerd too. So like anything like DC or Marvel related, like I am constantly um, in theaters or streaming services, things like that to, to keep up with all of those. Dude, that that was even better than I was expecting. I had no idea <laughs> where you're going to go with that. Just to recap, you mentioned Bluey, Mountain Monsters, um, some Texas Lone Star Law. Lone yeah. Star Law. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> Pokemon. This was yep. incredible. That was that was a Stephen Gillespie esque answer. That was amazing. I am just a ball of everything, dude. I don't. <laughs> uh shouts to us though for being uh of the age of the original pokemon i think it was like original 150 right oh, i believe can, what, what speaking of stuff that we were raised on have you seen what they're doing with this new teenage I mutant see ninja that. turtle mutant mayhem i am stupid excited for this like the I cast did. they're gonna have john cena they're gonna have seth rogan paul rudd mm-hmm. i think um uh, what's the uh post malone is gonna be a voice in it and all ice cube is gonna be in it it's going to be awesome. I'm so it excited looks, for Mutant Mayhem. The trailer dropped and it looked yes. incredible. Number one, I really like the like the drawing style that they went with. It mm. looks really cool, really grungy, which uh, is appropriate because these guys live in the sewer, right? Like this yeah. is what it should look like. I think they're. I, it's exciting, man. It, it looks awesome. It looks really great. But um, okay. With that said, Stephen, this was incredibly fun for me um and i thank you again for filling in as you mentioned that's kind of something that you you really enjoy doing and you've done it again here with our pod and i really appreciate you coming on and um filling in here but before we go if you can kind of just let our uh, listeners know where to find you well yeah so i mean if you're listening today you probably already listened to draft deeper the day before again i'm i wasn't on that show but normally i am we try our, our best to get all three of us on um, at the same time, but that's the great thing about having a three man show. If one of us have something going on, we still have a, a, a co-host baked in right there, but, um, I'm active on Twitter. Please feel free to follow me, engage with me, you know, DM me, whatever, um, at Steven G hoops. That's where I'm most active on, on Twitter. And then, um, you can find all my written work at no ceilings, where everything is free 99, um, with a discount. If all you have to do is just say that, I say that I, uh, you know, mention me whenever you uh, go to the website and you'll get a free article. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, my name's Albert, Albert Gim, and uh, you can also find all my written work at uh, noceilingsnba.com. My Twitter handle is Albert O-E, Alberto Gim is my Twitter handle. And on Instagram, I am at GTGNBA is where you can find me. And um, Next week, uh, I don't know who's co-host or who's hosting this pod next week. I don't remember the schedule, but you'll have to tune in and find out. You'll have to tune in and find out. And I hope you guys enjoyed this one. If you like me, you can find me um, on the Draft Deck NBA pod, also part of the No Ceilings uh, podcast network. And that is pretty much it. We thank you guys for tuning in and we will see you guys next week. Later, y'all. Peace.